0: Welcome to Breaking Ladders, Season 2, and this is a continuation of the episode that we talked about last around being a new manager. My name is Katie Ostrico, and I'm the Vice President of Sales and Marketing, and one of the things that I wanted to talk about in this episode is, really, if you decide you want to be a leader, so you've gone through all of that, you understand what that looks like, Um We're going to talk a little bit today about how much energy and time both physically and mentally it takes if you really want to get up to the higher levels of leadership. I don't want to dissuade you. I don't want to turn anybody away from leadership if that's your passion, but I do want you to be able to go in with your eyes open about what it looks like. One of the common misconceptions that plays for first-time managers that I hear is like, oh my gosh, this is a lot more work than I thought. And I would just tell you that anybody that's taking a leadership role, whether it's like the first step into it as a manager of maybe a small team, or when you start to lead a whole department or multiple departments, it takes a lot more time and energy than you actually think. One of the reasons for that is because you're not just dealing with the work and the problem solving and things that make it to your desk, the higher up you get are harder to solve, less concrete, aren't as obvious. So they take a lot of mental energy oftentimes to figure these pieces out. The other thing that takes a ton of time is people. So the bigger your team is, the more people that you have, the more time that's naturally going to take. And if you do it well, you know, you're always trying to better yourself. So at the same time, you're trying to drive strategy or drive direction or implementation on your team. You're trying to understand the people on your team, how to help them, what can make them better, how to make them more effective. You're also working on yourself. So how do I be a better leader? What can I do better? And that doesn't even take into effect if you have one or more people at home who also need your time and attention. So one of the things that I often recommend, and this is not gender specific, so I do this with both men and women that are moving into leadership roles. If they have a spouse or a partner or a family, it's important for them to have the conversation about the time, commitment, and energy, whether known or unknown, that stepping into leadership looks like. So, when I first moved out of we'll call it product management, where I was kind of responsible for myself or interns, and I took a director role, which was a leadership role leading product development and marketing, I didn't know what it would look like, but I knew it would be more. And it was a, I was moving from a huge company that had a lot of resources and teams and people to like a really small company. So, I went from like a couple billion dollar company to a thirty five million dollar company. Um and so, I knew that a lot of the things that my other organization that had people and sometimes even teams to do would now fall to me or like myself and like one other person. So I knew it would be more, but I didn't know how much more. And so when I was interviewing for that role and really excited about the opportunity professionally, I had a conversation with my husband and said, you know, I think I think I want to try this path towards leadership. Um, It's something I'm excited about. It's something I think I can be good at. I don't know what it's gonna look like, but it may be more. There may be times where it's way more. There may be times where it takes a weekend or a night or I'm away from home more. You know, how do you feel about this? And so we had that conversation. And I often tell people that I'm fortunate. My husband loves the job that he does um, and has no aspirations for more senior level leadership. So we're not competing on this career path trajectory together. Um, he basically turned to me and said, I got you. I got this. Do what you got to do. And so I think part of the fact we've been married for a long time, we're very open and honest with each other when we have these discussions. You know, if he says he's got it, he's got it. There are times I jump in and I've got it. It's not like I abdicated everything else. But he knew that if I needed that time or that effort or that energy, that I had that support at home. And I encourage even the men who move into leadership to set that expectation, especially leading sales teams, because there's a lot of travel involved. You know, part of it is you got to have that conversation with your spouse and go, is this something that we want to do together as a family? Is this something that we're comfortable with? Are you okay if I'm gone for this many nights a month? What does that do to us? What does that do to our family? If you have children, what does that do to the children? How do I, how are we going to manage that? And so, You know, for me to be able to have a husband who is super supportive um, and is 10 minutes from home, 10 minutes from my kid's school, does not travel. Um, He cooks most nights. I do like two nights a month with HelloFresh because I don't know how to cook um, or not really good at it, but he's really good at it. He was a cook in high school and college. And so, you know, he does a lot of those things around the house. I I pay to have somebody come and clean twice a month um, since he's working full time. And so am I. That's something that's a luxury we've had the ability to do. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, And so he does a great job being the consistent at home parent when I have to be gone or on the road or doing things. Everybody's not in that situation. You know, and I understand that everybody doesn't have that kind of relationship The key, though, is to figure out what it looks like for your family and what makes the most sense for you that will keep your family unit as happy and healthy as you can. Because at the end of the day, jobs come and go, they ebb and flow, but you want that family unit to be the most important thing. And I think, you know, for my team, they found ways to do that. Like um, some of them will do once a month lunch with their spouse when they're in town. Um, some of them will book their vacations in January for the whole year and block their calendar to make sure they have that family time prioritized throughout the year. You know, I make sure that if I'm not traveling or I can adjust my schedule, that if there's a school function that my kid is doing, that I can be there for that, um, to be supportive of whatever that looks like. doesn't always happen, um, but most of the times, whether you know it's reading in his class or something like that, I'll, I'll adjust my schedule to make sure that I can be present for those moments. And then my husband and I try to do a date night once a week. And so it doesn't always happen with travel, but that's usually our goal is that time where we can just go out and talk and chat. And sometimes we'll go grab something quick and then we'll just do like a two mile walk together and just talk about things that are going on for the week. And that's important to keep you grounded and keep that family as a piece of that equation. And it's hard. It's not easy and it's not always consistent. You know, the role I have now, it's funny, I remember I was talking to a team probably about 10 years ago. Um, and it was a team that traveled a lot. It was a really cool team at the company I was working at, highly competitive. They would go after like, how do we go after the competition? How do we rethink this? And I asked them and I they said, oh, we would consider you, you know, for this team, but well, we don't have women on this team. And I said, why not? And they said, women don't like to travel. Um, and it was funny because I was at a, a women's event speaking. And I said, how many of you would love you know, a night or two away in a hotel where you can order whatever you want for dinner. You can sit on your pajamas doing work while you get ready for the next day, um, or just have a quiet hotel room to yourself and almost all of them raise their hands. So I think there's this misconception that, you know, women don't want to travel and some might not, but some do, you know, and I think that that's what's shifting a lot in the workplace is these preconceived notions about what these things look like are not universal. Um, and I've got some men that would not want to travel as much as I do. And that's okay too. You know, I, I don't think it's gender specific. I think it's based on the person and their desire and their family. Um, and so I had that conversation with my husband, you know, before I took the sales leadership role that I have now, I said, I don't know, I'd never done sales before. So I said, I don't know what this looks like, but I know I'm going to have to travel. I'm going to have to be with customers. I'm going to have to be in the market. I'm going to have to understand what's going on. Um, And I said, okay, what does that look like to you? Like, what's too much? How do we manage this? First of all, I will tell you that we live and die by our Google calendar at home. So the idea is if you put it on the Google calendar and he knows when he has to drop off and pick up for daycare, I'm drop off. He's pick up most days. You know, I make those modifications on there. And then his only other requirement was don't be gone for more than two weeks. Now, I've never been gone for a week, let alone two. I think the most I've done was like six nights. Um, which is typically the case. I mean, we're domestic based. I'm not traveling overseas a lot. Um, And so I can usually go into a market and spend a couple days and get home. There's a couple situations where I've been gone a little bit longer, um, but we prepare for that. And he's totally aware and and covers whatever needs to be covered. But we had that negotiation. It's not like I'm booking travel and there's resentment or there's issues or there's, I didn't know this was going to look like this. Um, And then there's conflict. You know, the more that you can have those conversations up front about what you know or the areas where you think there might be some of those challenges, talk about it. And I don't have to worry if something comes up for work, you know, if I have to do a customer dinner or something like that, because I have, you know, a super supportive partner um, who's really flexible to allow me to do those things. And that has been a huge blessing. And I'm thankful for that every day. The other thing that I hear a lot about from people, especially more in the talks that I do for women, is the word mom guilt. And it's funny because I never I never usually hear the word dad guilt, although I think it's there when I talk to some of my team members um, throughout the years, you know, when they have to miss stuff or they're gone or they're not home, they, they face it too. It just doesn't have the same name that's talked about. Um, and so I think there's a couple things to think about, you know, for me in my situation, um today I work full time. I work full time and I travel a lot. Um and sometimes I travel, you know, twice a month. The most I've ever done is three times a month. Um I have also stayed at home for 4 years. Um when we had a son that had a really severe medical condition, um I quit working and, and did not work at all for 4 years. And then when my son Ryan was born, you know, I Went into the office two days a week to start, and I would work like six thirty to six in the office, and then I would work Monday, Wednesday, Fridays at home. And I quickly, you know, over the several months, kind of weaned that back to you know three days at home, then two days at home, then one day at home, and then back to work because they allowed me to do that. So I've done all the different variations of what that looked like, and I will tell you, you have mom guilt with all of it. So it's not like you pick a path and you're like, oh, this is guilt free. Because the guilt comes from raising these awesome little people and trying to do a really good job at doing it. And so it doesn't matter if you're working full time or you're home full time, you're going to worry about are the choices I'm making and the things I'm making. And if I'm not home for dinner, is that what they're going to remember 10 years from now? Um, You know, am I teaching them the right lessons if I'm not present or if I'm present 100% of the time? Do I feel like I'm missing out on something personally? What does that mean to me? You know, am I not going to be as happy? So I I would just say this, you know, for me, I have a really good peer network of friends um, who are in a similar boat to me that I can talk to openly and honestly about what it looks like to sit in my seat um, and live that life and, and the complications that come with it. And we have really open discussions about it. Um, But I also know that it's hard when you're home alone and maybe isolated um, and you do not have some of those outlets and you're trying to figure out that place in the world. Um, And so for me, you know, I have a lot of flexibility in my job, which is not always the case. It has a lot of expectations, but there's a lot of flexibility. And so I try to be purposeful about the time that I spend with my son, the time that I spend with my husband, the times that when we go on vacation. It's just us. You know, and we spend a lot of time as a group and it's not easy. A lot of times you have to be mindful of it and you're hoping that you're making all the right decisions or as many as possible um, to raise really cool, independent kids that have a good head on their shoulders and have good values. And I don't know that there's one recipe if you're home 24 hours a day or if you're at work 8 to 10 hours a day that that changes what that looks like for that child coming out of there. I think a lot of it is your intent and what goes into it. Um, And it takes energy and time and being purposeful and being open to have those conversations. Um, And so those also take energy. And so I think, you know, when you get to the end of the day, you're like, okay, this isn't easy. I worked a long day. It requires a lot of my brain power. I'm going to go home. And P.S., that's going to take a lot of time and energy and brain power too. And so stepping into something where the work part of your life takes such a big piece, you know, it's just something you have to think about. And it's something you have to ask. Is that really what you want to do when you have to dig deep in those moments where maybe you're not getting as much sleep or you're not able to do something for you individually, you know, for that week because you're focused on other things. Um, And there's no answers to any of these questions. So I I would just say, do what you feel is right for you and your family and make the most of whatever opportunities and efforts you get and know that you'll get some of it wrong and some of it right and that's okay and I think you know if you go into both of it with open eyes and be able to have honest discussions especially with your spouse um, I think that's a key piece of it and so you know one of the questions that I would really think about if I were sitting in somebody's shoes who's like I think I want to be in leadership or I think I want to move to senior leadership. Um, you know often people are like how how do you know if you're ready what would I ask myself you know if I was sitting in that seat and it was interesting I had a conversation um, a week ago with somebody who had just moved into a senior leadership position and and I asked him and I said you know one day do you have aspirations to to sit in the seat that you're in now like was this always a goal for you to sit here and he's like oh definitely like you know always wanted to do it, was always a leader, always stepped up in things, um, always wanted to lead teams. And I've got a passion for seeing people be successful and helping them develop. And he's like, what about you? And I'm like, oh, totally opposite. Um, Didn't really have a ton of leadership positions moving up. Wasn't something I was always driven towards. But I always love it when you see people succeed and you help to develop people. And it's interesting, like how you get to leadership." could be varied. It could always be a passion that you've had or an expectation you had for yourself or something that you work your way into. Um, But I think this idea of helping a group of people develop and grow and succeed and that you are a piece that either allows them to showcase their talent, that you encourage them to demonstrate their abilities, that you give them those opportunities a lot of the leaders that I speak to, that becomes that underlying art. So it doesn't matter how you got there, but you have a passion for helping other people figure things out and develop their skills. You know, do you believe that you can help a team do that? That's a really good question to ask yourself if you want to be a leader. Um, and the bigger question is, are you okay putting in a lot of the work and effort and then giving away all the credit to the team? Because, you know, when you When your team succeeds, you succeed as a leader. But oftentimes, leaders, some of the not great ones, miss that um, and want to take credit and want to take the success away from people. And when you do that, people don't want to work for you for that long. So you've got to put in sometimes just as much or more work as the team um, and effort around that because that's your job. Your job is to see around corners, your job is to help them problem solve. And when that team is successful, you've got to celebrate the heck out of that team and give away all the success. So that's a question that not everybody wants to do and not everybody's equipped to do. And when you look at certain people for leadership potential, we talk a lot about that. You know, they're an individual, really great contributor and they rock it individually, but would they be willing to let somebody else have all the accolades and credit, even if it meant that they put in a lot of the work? You know, can you organize and prioritize people to work together? So a lot of what happens in organizations that flourish is there are clear boundaries and direction and prioritization around things. And when organizations struggle, it's because everything's a priority and nobody wants to make anything a priority. And oftentimes when you're in a leadership role, you're the one that has to figure that out. It's A, not B. You know, it's C, not D. And you have to make that call and you have to understand the implications of that. You also have to know you may be wrong on that call and you may have to adjust the team and be able to communicate that. So, is that something you're able to do? Are you able to make decisions with limited information? Um, Are you able to make decisions when you don't have all the pieces in front of you and motivate your team and help them organize around those initiatives to get things done? Um, Are you able to manage your emotions in challenging situations or are you an emotional person that tends to fly off the handle a lot? Um, When it's just you in a meeting, it's not great, but. When it's you leading a team, it becomes unhealthy for the people around you. Um, And a lot of times the situations you get are extremely challenging and can be emotional and you're not expecting them. They're usually surprises. So how do you manage your emotions in those types of situations? Or when you get really disappointing news or things get hard or critical or something happens that you didn't expect. um, Being able to be calm and work through that is a critical piece to giving confidence to your team that you might not have it all figured out, but you're a, a calm captain on rocky seas and you'll you'll do your best to figure out the port. Um, one of the big things is confidentiality. Um, so I walked in to a situation um, at one of the companies I was at, and I'll tell you a little story about it. Um, so I had been a leader before that. I had walked in, it was a new team, new, new company, new industry. So I didn't know anything about it. Um, and so I started leading the group and I had somebody come in and tell me something um, that was going on with them. And I said, okay, um, you know, thanks for sharing with me. I appreciate it. Do you need any time? What does that look like for you? Um, so we talked through her and she goes, okay, so are you going to tell anybody about this? And I said, no, I said, it's not an HR issue. It's not, you know, a company issue. Like, no, do you, do you want me to tell anybody about it? Um, and then they explained to me that they had somebody in the past who led a team that when somebody would go and talk to them about something personal or medical or family related or a struggle they were having, um, that that person would go tell like a bunch of people about it. And in order to get people to come and talk to you about things, um, you do have to be able to keep things confidential. Um, and it's, it's really hard to do, to know all of these pieces and parts and not be able to say anything. And so part of it is to know who you can and can't talk to about things you know, I'll share whatever's going on with my boss. But sometimes I'll also come home if it's something not necessarily work-related, but personal-related. Um, and I'll just tell my husband, I'm like, hey, I just need you to like tune out and nod, but I just need to get this out of my system and then we'll move on. Um, and he's like a vault, like a CIA agent, so it's not going anywhere. So it's it's about understanding with some of those things that you're working through, who you can talk to, but how to keep the confidentiality of your team. It's not always easy. Um, one of the big things I think is a struggle for a lot of managers is you've got to have some difficult conversations with people. Um, and so I expect my boss to have difficult conversations with me. He's called me out when I'm not doing what I need to do. Um, and it's a tough pill to swallow, but it's a good pill to swallow. Cause I'm like, okay, I need to adjust what I'm doing. Um, you need to be able to have those conversations with people and they're hard and they're messy and they make your stomach upset. And they make your hands sweat, and they make your head hurt, and they might make you not be able to sleep. Um, and so they're not easy, but they're required. And so I would just ask yourself, like, are you comfortable, you know, sitting across from somebody and giving them feedback that you know that they're not going to like, um, but that they need to hear? And it's done under the guise of either correcting a, a behavior that's detrimental to the team or the organization, or because you know that they're capable of more, and you want to challenge them to do that. Um, and so that's hard to do. It's not easy. Um, and it's one of those things that's just kind of required. Um, you know, are you, here's a big one that I would ask people. So I was writing these down, like, oh, what would I've asked myself, you know, like seven or eight years ago when I started on this path, um, are you able to weigh two bad options and choose the least bad one for the company? <laughs> um, You know, not every option you get is great. Um, When I look back at the last couple of years, you know, a lot of times none of the options were good. Um, You know, we had people in our industry that were opting to only allow a certain number of customers to buy product from them. And they were able to keep like lead times reasonable and they were able to keep those customers happy. They irritated a lot of other customers and made that choice. You know, we made the choice that we're like, well, you know, we have some constraints with what materials we can get to, but we're going to let orders be what they are and we're going to control it through lead times. Um, And so sometimes our lead times went way out um, and then they came back down and neither option was good. Neither option is ideally what you'd want to do as a business. And so we, we wrestled through what, what bad option are we going to pick and what bad option makes the most sense to our current customers That makes the most sense as our customers continue to grow and expand. How do we support them? Um, You know, how do we manage expectations of what that looks like against a a limited constraint that we have in material? I don't. They were terrible options. There were no good, clear path. And so you had to pick one. And are you able to do that? You know, are you able to pick a path that you don't like either of them and go, Okay, what's going to hurt our organization the least? Those are the decisions that get to your desk, um, especially the higher up you get, because the easy decisions people figure out and and they solve those. And so it's more nebulous. It's more vague. They're harder. They're more impactful. And I don't want to talk anybody out of leadership. I just want you to to know what it's like behind the curtain. Right. Like you see all these people unfortunately i think on social media who are like i'm rocking it and i've got this car and i'm flying on this jet and that's awesome if if that's your jam that's not my jam um but there's people every day in small to mid-sized organizations that are trying to figure out how do i do this and what does this look like and i'm feeling overwhelmed or i don't think i'm getting this or i'm struggling with all of these things that are coming at me is this normal yeah it's normal it's what happens And if you're somebody who's like, okay, I'm in a role right now and I want to move into leadership, you know, I don't want to detour you from moving into it. I just want you to go in with eyes wide open so you know what you're getting into, so you know what it might look like Um, and, you know, at least as much as you possibly can, what might be expected of you and where things might tug at you, whether it's personal or professional and, and how to think about that and how to have those conversations. You know, the things that you expect to face in leadership are often not the things that you get. And really being that coach on the sideline, if you think of it, or even like a general manager, you know, you're not a player on the field oftentimes, although at a small company, you do get to do that more. And I say get to because I enjoy that piece. Um, You've got to figure out the game plan. You've got to make decisions. You've got to put people in, pull people out. You've got to see the outcomes. You've got to see if your competition's going in a new direction. And then when your team succeeds, they're the ones that the kids buy their jerseys, not yours. So you've got to have that passion for that different kind of view and lens on it if this is something you might want to do. So I'd love to hear what you think. If you're a manager today or a you know more senior leader, like what what are your thoughts? Or if you're considering going into leadership, what kind of questions would you have? Um, and what would you love me to kind of dig into next time? So. I want to thank everybody for joining um, and listening in. Feel free to email me at breakingladders2, the number two at gmail.com, or connect on Facebook and Instagram, and I can't wait to talk to you next time.